Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Uh, welcome to another Rahalastapa. I am delighted to be joined by someone who's best known for being the truck driver in the jerk fantastic film. It's Rob Reiner. How are you doing, Rob? I'm good. How are you? I'm what very a- you pulled that credit right out of your ass. <laughs> I did. Do you remember much about uh, that appearance on the uncredited? Well, yes, I do. I mean, uh, this was a film that was Steve Martin. Yeah. My father directed it, and I played a truck driver. Steve was trying to hitch a ride, and uh, I, he flags me down, and uh, I say, how far... Uh, he, he says, I'm I, 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 I going to wherever he was going. And I, he says, how far are you going? And I said, well, I'm just going to the end of this fence here. And then <laughs> he says, okay, I'll take a ride. And he jumps in and he, I drive like two feet with him. <laughs> That's good. I remember. I do remember it. I didn't know it was you until I did the research, though. But uh, um, well, people will know you from uh, 
from many different things. I, I would argue possibly from being uh, a director of some fantastic films. I would say you're a very highly rated director, but I would still say you're an underrated director, Rob, for, for my money. Um, I mean, let's let's uh, let's up my rating. <laughs> I think so. I I said when I was knew I was going to interview you that you interviewed what I considered to be the best film of all time. I talked to Chris, my producer, who said he thought you directed what he considered to be the best film of all time. And two other people who also agreed, we all chose four different films. So <laughs> my, my favourite film is uh, Spinal Tap, which I think is the greatest comedy film there's ever been, but also any film. Uh, Chris loved uh, The Princess Bride. Uh, I think my wife chose uh, When Harry Met Sally. And uh, Stand By Me, which I think is your favourite, was someone else's choice as well. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it's it, it's my favorite only because it means so much to me. Okay. I don't know that it's the best of the films I've made, but it, it you know, personally means a lot to me. But, you know, uh, since your film, your favorite film is uh, This is Final Tap, you know, we're we're making a sequel. Are you? Yeah, yeah. We're we're, we're going to start shooting in uh, in uh, the end of February and uh, everybody's back. And uh, Paul McCartney is joining us and Elton John and a few other surprises, Garth Brooks. and uh, Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, well, I look forward to that. I it's, It is a film that I, I, I'm a touring comedian and I'm sure all comedians and musicians say this to you, but it's a, it's a film you can watch on tour and, and see a lot of touring in whatever level you're at. Um, I'm also working on some, I've been working on some improvised films as well. So I just wondered what you, what do you think the secret to putting together a, a film that is largely or entirely improvised is what's the best the the, the 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 only thing that matters is that you get people who are good at improvising you have to get people who feel comfortable doing that and who's uh uh you know you know they 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 if you don't get those people you're you're you know you need the horses you yeah. need the horses to do it and if you get people who can improvise and they're funny and whatever then then you're off to the races Cool, that's good. My favorite, one of my favorite bits I was thinking is is something from you, which is the cricket bat scene where uh, Ian's struggling to come up with why he's why he's got the cricket bat, and you yeah. say that a sense of affectation. It's one of that's one of the things that I quote the most, and that that is you yeah. improvising, presumably. So thank you. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. He was searching for what I asked him about. I said, well, you, "You have this cricket bat." I says, "What do you use use it? Why why do you have it?" He says, "Well, it's uh, it's," uh, and he he couldn't. He couldn't find the word. And I said, uh, affectation. He said, yeah. <laughs> and it's the kind of thing you can't, you couldn't script. But that's what I love about improvising is you, you, yeah. the, the exchanges that come up are so natural and you couldn't script them or right. explain why they were funny, but they are funny. Right. When, when right. Uh, but of course that, and do you feel that there's, I, I feel with Spinal Tap, and I won't talk about this too long. I know we're going to talk about your podcast, um, but there's, you know, the, what makes it work is um, is how real it is. Yeah. Uh, is is there stuff? And I know there's hours and hours of footage that you didn't use. Is there stuff that you regret not being in the film? And is there anything that you look at it now and think, "Oh, I wish that scene hadn't been in the in the film." No, everything that's in there is something I wanted. Yeah, we shot so much footage. Yeah, and you know the whole thing is to try to tell a story. I mean, you know, you want to get a sense of the tour that we had and and the characters and tell a story. And what you want to do, especially with a comedy you don't want to overstay your welcome. I mean, you know, this is a stand-up. you know, yeah. you leave them wanting, you go off on a big laugh and get out, you know? So <laughs> the worst thing you can do is just load it up with, you know, even if they're funny things, they may be tangents 
and things that that take away from the from the drive of the film. And did you anticipate with it uh, to what how influential it would be? Because I think it has been and certainly here in the UK as well. But I know in America, um, I think, you know, the, I, I worked on um, on the hour, which became the day to day, which was where Alan Partridge and uh, all those guys started Armando Yanucci. And I know how much right. Armando was influenced by Spinal Tap. And did, did did you anticipate that it would would have this kind of influence and and, and still be all these years later, people no, wanting a sequel? we ne- never did. I mean, yeah. you know, we wound up in the national, uh, American National Film Registry, which is, you know, it's like bizarre that that happened. I mean, when it first, uh, when we first previewed it, we previewed it in a, in a, in a theater in Dallas, Texas, and the people, they didn't know what the heck they were looking at. And uh, they came up to me afterwards and said, I don't understand. Why would you make a movie about a band that nobody's <laughs> ever heard of? And a, and they're so bad. Why would you do that? And I, he said, you should make a movie about the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. Don't make a movie. I said, well, it's a satire. I tried to explain <laughs> it, you know. But over the years, people people got it. And they yeah started to like it yeah yeah it was a slow it was a slow burner wasn't it and um and princess bride which is my friend my producer's uh favorite film you did remake the princess bride in a lockdown or you were involved with that the, the, it was made as a home movie which is pretty no we, we didn't we didn't uh remake it what we did was during we the uh, run-up to the uh i think it was the 2016 election um we we did a reading of it on online, you know, yeah. a, a Zoom meet, a re- reading, and we cast people to play the parts to raise money for uh, for Democrats in in Wisconsin. Okay. So that's what we did. I mean, it wasn't a remake or anything. No, but it's it's a whole, you know, the whole film is done with different act- characters. Yes, playing. we had all the actors. My, as a matter of fact, my father uh, yes. played the uh, the Peter Falk uh, character. Yeah, and, uh, and I played, I played the little boy, the little, the sick boy in the bed. So it was kind of cool because my father, you know, passed away a few years ago, and yes. the last thing he ever did, the last acting, the last word he, he ever said on camera uh, to me uh, when I said, you know, can you come back and read it to me tomorrow? And he said, as you wish. That's the last thing he said. Oh which man. Means, means i love you you know yeah that that was it was pretty emotional oh man that's that's beautiful that's really lovely um and as an actor as well you um you've sort of been in everything i mean i I, I, when i I talked to harry shearer on this podcast i was sort of amazed to find out that he'd been in abbott and costello which didn't seem possible when two words worlds collide like that but again you started acting very young so you were in uh harry Harry started when he was like a kid, a yeah, little yeah. kid. I yeah. Mean, he was acting with Jack Benny. I mean, he did all kinds of stuff from when he was, you know, less under 10 years old. Yeah. But even, you know, with you, it's so, it it feels like you shouldn't be in Batman. You know, you're, you're in Batman, the original TV series, Batman. Yes. Delivery yes. Boy. yes. I played a <laughs> uh, uh, room service guy okay. bringing uh, food to uh, the penguin. Who was played by Burgess Meredith? That's right. Yeah. Yes, it's an early part for me. <laughs> but in, and it, it, subsequently, you've been in pretty much every one of my favorite comedies. You've worked with uh, Larry Gary Sandling, both both in the Gary Sandling Show and on Larry Sanders. You've been in The Simpsons. You've been in Curb Your Enthusiasm. You've been in Thirty Rock. You've been in Frasier. Uh, that one no, not as 
You I in don't Fraser? think I was in Fraser. Oh, it's, I... it's it's down on IMDb as as you. I I don't I, I don't remember it, but that's well, one I don't of the ones. I remember that's... being in Fraser. Okay, well maybe <laughs> maybe that's a mistake. I, I got that but, one wrong. Yeah. Okay, but the others. Are, uh, are yeah, the great, others I've been in. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an, it's an incredible acting career as well as directing career. Um, and again, we in the UK we don't know this one so much because we we had till death is do part, and you were in. All in the family, all which in the was family, the, the American version. Yeah, all in the family was based on "Till Death Us Do Part." Yeah, the Alf Garnett, and um, you know, I, I think that you know the British show was even more cutting edge than than All in the Family was, and and at the time when All in the Family came on, that was as cutting edge as there ever was on American television. Yeah, we had the first. I mean, it famously had the first. Toilet flush on primetime American TV, and That's that right. was a and that was a big deal. So That's right. But Alf Garnett <laughs> used to go after the Queen. Yes, he would. He would. He would trash the Queen. I mean, which is really in Brit in Great Britain that you just don't do that. <laughs> so anyway, look, I, I, I know we, we let's let's talk about your new podcast. Things must be going badly for you, first of all, Rob, because you've you've turned to podcasting. I've been I've been <laughs> I've been podcasting for fifteen years, which will let you know how badly my career has been going. Uh, but uh, it's a it's a hit podcast. It's already doing incredibly well. There are three episodes out as as we speak, and we're actually talking. Are we talking on the anniversary of the the sixtieth yes. anniversary? Yes, yes. this is the sixtieth anniversary of the assassination of John Kennedy. Yeah, so you've you've done a uh, a podcast, ten part podcast, three parts out so far called "Who Killed JFK." It's something that obviously has been discussed a lot and there's been a lot of theories and some of them debunked and some of them not. What uh, What's drawn you to this subject uh, and why, why, why do you want to podcast about it? Well, any, anyone who was alive at that time, which I was, you'll never, ever forget where you were when you heard that news. It, it just stays with you. I was in my high school physics class and a student walked in and whispered in the teacher's ear and he turned to us and he said, I have some terrible news. And he told us what had happened and everybody was shocked. Uh, We were all sent home from school. We went to our televisions and we watched nonstop. It was a, a massive national trauma that hit the entire country uh we were all unified in that traumatic experience and i actually saw on live television the man who was accused of killing president kennedy lee harvey oswald was himself murdered by this local uh mob connected light uh, nightclub owner named jack ruby so it never left me i mean if you think about a loved one being murdered and you don't know why and you don't know who did it you're just never going to rest until you find out the answers. You want to know the answers. So those of us who were alive at the time and who were traumatized by it wanted want to know the truth about what happened. And so over 60 years, you've seen drips and drabs of truths that have come out, little bits of uh, evidence here and there. There's a you know news report about this and about that. And unless you're following it, unless you are interested in it, you don't put all those pieces together. They don't mean much uh, in in a disparate uh, form like that. So what I tried to do with this 10-part podcast, and I host it with uh, Soledad O'Brien, who's an award-winning journalist. She just got actually got uh, inducted into the uh, 
Journalism Hall of Fame. Wow. Um, we put it all together. We take all the information that we've accumulated over 60 years and put it in one place so people can really understand what exactly happened that day. And by the end, by the 10th episode, we'd lay out exactly who we think was involved, how they did it. And we, and we name shooters and we also name positions where the shooters were. Now, we can't be 100 percent sure but the one thing we can be 100% sure is it was a conspiracy. There's no question about that. There is no question about that. If you take all the information together, there is no way on this God's earth that that one, uh, that one person, Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, shot, uh, from this, uh, shot the president from the sixth floor. And I'll give you one hint because I'm not going to tell you. You have to listen to the whole thing. Oh to get the foundation, to understand the whole foundation of it and why we come to the conclusion we do. I'm not just going to throw it out there because you'll say, oh, that's crackpot. It's like everybody else is a crackpot. I'll give you one hint because we approach it like a murder mystery, which is what it is. We call it the greatest murder mystery in American history. And we approach it as detectives to look at what happened. You look at the, uh, the, the suspects, who had the motive, you look at the forensics, you look at the, uh, the situation surrounding it that, that caused it. And the one thing I can tell you, and that's if you think about this and you have to really, de- the first shot from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository, which is where the Warren Commission said the shots came from. They said three shots came from the book depository. The first shot, missed the entire motorcade. And that's all you need to know. <laughs> Why would a sharpshooter who was, whose job it is or who's, what he thinks he's going to do is kill the president and he's a brilliant marksman because they only had three shots. Yeah, The first shot misses the entire motorcade. That's a good why point. Is that? I'm asking you that question because we're going to answer why that was. <laughs> In the context of the thing, the other thing you have to know is the there were two. They said there were three shots. The first one missed, and then there were two shots remaining. One of the shots we know was the death shot that killed the president. It hit his head and it blew the brains. It was horrific. The second shot that was the last shot. The second shot is the one that blows the whole idea of a single gunman apart, completely apart. And they call that the single bullet theory. And in the Warren Commission, their theory is that from the sixth floor of a building, a shot entered the the president's back six to eight inches below his neck, traveled upward, came out his throat, made a turn and uh, Governor Connolly was sitting in front of him, made a turn, then hit Connolly in the ribs, broke his ribs, exited there, made another turn, went into his wrist, broke his wrists, made another turn, and then wound up in his thigh and was recovered in the hospital. And it's on record in the Warren Commission and in the National Archives and it's a pristine bullet. 
Yeah. If you believe that, if you believe that that one gun did all that, then you can, okay, then it's a single, single shooter up there, but it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous on its surface. And so then it opens the door to there were others involved. Then we get into who was involved, how they were involved. What was the situation that allowed uh, those forces to come together? And you'll you'll hear it in the podcast. Yeah, well, it's it's fascinating already, and you know, yeah, I know you you make very good points about that, and it you know it feels at the very best, and I'm and I know this is just early doors. All you could say is that they, you know, they didn't this, the the government, the CIA, didn't want to create a, a situation where there was any doubt about you know any question about what happened, so just made up a. A story right. and hope they could put it to bed, and that and right. and and we have proof of that. Yeah, yeah. There's a phone call between J. Edgar Hoover and uh, Lyndon Johnson, who was the new president, and mm-hmm. in that phone call, they talk about uh, we've got to make sure that uh, we don't have a lot of investigations here. We don't want this to get out of control. We have to make sure that it's, uh, it's focused on Oswald. And in in the conversation, they actually say. They, they talk about they, they shooter. You know, they don't say one, but we say we got to make sure that it's Oswald, that everybody knows it's Oswald. Then there's a very famous memo that came from the uh, the deputy attorney general that said the public has to be made comfortable and rest and may, be made assured that Lee Harvey Oswald was the only gunman. They actually say that, and this is this is a memo that was sent two three days after the assassination. So. There you have it. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I mean, how do, you, how do you think they thought they would get away with it? Just Was it just a time when no one, because obviously a lot of the questions came down the line and you sort of talk right. about how you, you know, right. you saw comedians and people discussing it 10, 15 years right. later, whatever. Right. Um, do you think they just thought, it, I mean, it, it was so unlikely just to go away. So all of the autopsy reports get burned and, well, and the well, photos yeah, disappear. The, the, the original <laughs> autopsy report was burned and then yeah. they issued another. But here's the thing. Two things. One is America had just, with our allies, had just defeated the Nazis a few years earlier. We were the good guys. We defeated fascism. People had trust in their government. And so they were going to trust whatever the government said. There were two investigations done into the Kennedy assassination by the government. One was the Warren Commission, and then Many years later, ten, over 10 years later, 
the House Select Committee on Assassinations did another investigation. Both of those investigations were 180 degrees opposite from each other. The Warren Commission said it was a single gunman. The House Select Committee said it was a, a, a conspiracy. But both of the investigations were flawed. And the reason the public never quite understood how it worked is because in the Warren investigation, there was a man named Alan Dulles. Alan Dulles was the former head of the CIA. He was known as the godfather of the CIA. Alan Dulles was fired by Kennedy after the disastrous Bay of Pigs invasion, where they trained Cuban exiles to try to take Cuba back after Castro took over. So Alan Dulles was put in charge of any information that would involve the CIA in any kind of extrajudicial killings that would get into, into the Warren Commission. So there was no uh, information linking the CIA to Lee Harvey Oswald that got into the Warren Commission. They said they basically, they had heard of him, they knew about him, but it was very uh, tenuous. What we find out many, many decades later is they had a huge file on Lee Harvey Oswald. They opened a 201 file four years before the assassination, and there were thousands of documents that link Oswald to the CIA. There's that, that's one thing. The House investigation, and, and I'm getting into the weeds here, but that's what we get into in the, in the podcast, and it's yeah. done over a 10-episode 10, a 10 uh, uh, series. So you'll, you, you know, we give it to you in bits and pieces. Yeah. But the second investigation, the House Select Committee, there was another man, and this is a man you've never heard of. American people have never heard of them. Is a man, man named George Joannides. George Joannides was also a CIA agent, a former CIA agent. He was in charge of making sure none of the appropriate information from the CIA would get into that investigation. And what we found out years after that is not only was he a former CIA agent, but he was the counterintelligence agent who set up a program to develop assets, one of which was Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. There was that connection there. So all of these things we'll explain and it'll come out and uh, hopefully people will be at least a little more satisfied than they have been up till now. Well, yeah, I mean, it's sort of, sort of, it does promise a lot. I hope it does deliver. It seems to be, as you say, it is building up nicely and slowly. And it, it does. The problem with, of course, with any of these things, and especially now, I mean, it, it, 30 or 40 years ago, it wouldn't have seemed so weird. But obviously, there are so many conspiracy theories and so, and so many of them are certainly kooky. And some of them are just, you know, QAnon, obviously. Well, you hit the the nail on the head because the the very words conspiracy theory, you know, conjures up tinfoil hats and QAnon and crackpots. Yeah. But the reality is there are actual conspiracies that actually happen. And so it is very difficult in this day and age to try to push through something that we can we can prove certain things happen. We know certain things happen. And so it's very tough, tough to push that through, especially in a world of disinformation and AI and all that stuff. But in our podcast, we only interview experts. We only interview people who were there. We only interview, you know, we interview uh, forensics experts, uh, historians, 
Uh, we interview uh, the CIA, uh, CIA agents, uh, Secret Service agents who were there. They're people, they're not wild, wacky people with, you know, crazy ideas. These are, these are, these are legitimate people who have been studying this and are serious people who have been doing it for, you know, for 60 years, for many years. Sure. But um, what if, if you are to prove or if that the, the government or the CIA was involved heavily in this or orchestrated it, is what repercussions does that have for, for America? Though? I mean, still, that would still be, uh, you know, shattering for the American government now, even though it's obviously 60 years later. Yeah, well, think about this. When when uh, the Warren Commission report came out, Americans had in the 70s trust, 70% trust for the American government. We trusted. Right now, where we sit as we're having this conversation, the trust for the American government is in the teens. I mean, you know, so to me, if you're going to ever build back trust, and this is in any relationship, you have to tell the truth. Once you tell the truth and you start basing your relationship with either an institution or another human being, once you tell the truth and you come to grips with what the truth is, you can start building back the trust. And that's what needs to happen, because right now we're in a really weird place in the world where American democracy is hanging by a thread. And we're going to find out in uh, November of, of 2024 whether or not America has decided to become a fascistic state. I'm not exaggerating. It, 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 we know this because Trump has told us that's what he's going to do. He isn't, he isn't hinting at it. He's actually told us that he was going to put people in camps. He said these words. So we have to make a decision because we're the oldest living democracy at 248 years. And we're supposed to be this uh, shining city on a hill, this beacon to the rest of the world. And if we're going to continue to be that and continue to say that democracy is the best form of government, then we have to start being truthful. We have to be truthful about our past, which is what we did to native, the native population in America. America, we have to be truthful what we did with slaves and bringing black people to America and how we treated them and treated them since. And once we start becoming truthful, we can then build a healthy foundation for a democracy. And this is part of it, is telling the truth to people about what actually happened. So do you feel that podcasts are the, uh, you know, because obviously you have you, uh, you have uh, 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 fingers in a lot of pies. You could choose a, uh, you could choose to do this as a film. You could choose to do this as a TV documentary. Why was it why was it you felt that the podcast was the best way to get this information out there? Well, that's a great question, because I initially developed it as a limited TV series. OK. And I developed it with Paramount. And uh, I actually got them to uh, option three books that I based it on. And and uh, they they green light three episodes that we, you know, the, the scripts for three episodes. And then the guy who was championing it, the executive, he got fired. And so they scrapped the whole thing. And then people just said, it's too controversial. They don't want to have anything to do with it. And I didn't really know what to do with it at that point. Then I heard Soledad O'Brien, who's my co-host, I heard her do a podcast called Murder on the Towpath, which is tangentially connected to the to the Kennedy assassination. It's all about a woman named Mary Meyer who was murdered right after the Warren Commission came out. And she was married to a, a CIA agent named Cord Meyer. 
they were separated at the time. And Mary Meyer, uh, her sister was married to Ben Bradley, who was the editor of the Washington Post. And she herself, Mary Meyer, was having a year-long affair with Kennedy. And on the day that she was murdered, James Angleton, who was the head of counterintelligence for the CIA, and Ben Bradley show up at Mary Meyer's art studio, and they take a confiscated diary that she had written. And that we've never seen the contents of that diary since. But it was a wonderful story, the way she told it. And I heard that, and I said, boy, maybe that's the way to go. And I contacted Soledad, and she said, okay, let's do this. And it's an interesting dynamic that we have, because she was negative three when this happened. So she didn't have much uh, information about it. Uh, she just believed what she was told in school, which is, you know, Warren Commission, single gunman, goodbye and good luck. So it was almost like we were talking to each other where she's learning this stuff and I'm like steeped in it because I've been to Dealey Plaza a million times. I've talked to everybody that's alive, that's still alive and you, they'll be on the podcast. I've read every book. I've talked to forensic experts, everybody. And so we have this kind of interesting dynamic where it's almost like she's tr getting information from me and from the people that I'm bringing on the podcast. Did you find in the, you know, obviously this is deep research and a lot of information comes from lots of different places. Did you find through doing this podcast that you've, that anything you thought before was wrong or you'd, uh, you'd misjudged or, you know, or the, the information you thought was right, wasn't right, or did it all confirm what you'd already believed? Well, it, 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 you know, there were variations of the initial idea that, that I had um, when I started, because you have to approach it like a detective. When I started thinking about why would the first shot miss so badly? And it didn't miss uh, Kennedy. It, it didn't hit anything. It, it, yeah. it missed all the cars. It hit a, a curb. And I'm thinking, why was that? Why was that? And working with a researcher that I worked with, and 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 learning about uh, a pro a program that they actually presented to President Kennedy, a thing called uh, Operation Northwoods, and we explain what that is. This was an idea that the military and the CIA came up with, and they had used similar ideas in in other countries, but they had this idea, and he rejected it, and that becomes the basis of why it happened the way it did. And and I don't want to get into the the details sure. of Operation Northwoods, because we explained it in the in the podcast. But that was the thing that that uh, made sense to me. The other one was the bullet, the single bullet that showed up on a stretcher in Parkland Hospital. We could never quite understand how this where did this pristine bullet come from? And, and first of all, it didn't it couldn't have broken all those bones and wound up pristine. But they, uh, about two months ago, a little over two months ago, a Secret Service agent named Paul Landis, uh, who was uh, riding on the running board of the trail car behind Kennedy, came forward for the first time and talked about that he had found this bullet in the back of the car, uh, where it was a blood, you know, just ton of blood on the back of the car, but on the headrest where the in the in the limousine that Kennedy was in right behind him, there was this bullet. And he found this bullet and he had never talked about it. Nobody had ever asked him. That's another interesting thing that Warren Commission never asked any Secret Service agent anything. They were never tested, never asked about 
what happened that day. But this guy was right behind it. He said brain matter was and brain, you know, uh, tissue and 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 skull fragments were flying uh, towards him. And so he saw this. And when he arrived at Parkland, when he helped uh, Jacqueline Kennedy up out of the seat, he saw this bullet and he didn't know what to do with it because he thought, well, I mean, it's going to be evidence. It's really clearly evidence. And what if I have to take uh, Mrs. Kennedy? He was assigned to uh, take the first lady, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, you know, be with the first lady. He said somebody will take the bullet and then it'll be gone. So he picked it up and he put it in his pocket. And then when he got into the hospital, he put it on Kennedy's uh, gurney and put it, you know, by his feet. So it was found later. And that's the bullet that they said did all this damage but we know it didn't because it was found in the back seat of the car right and that's something i found that's something i discovered no and i didn't know when we started that that the fact that there's five thousand documents still not released to the public we've been learning about this in drips and drabs over 60 years so it's hard to put it all together but this in this podcast that's what we try to do we try to put all the pieces together so you can understand it and within a conspiracy, I mean, the, the problem with conspiracy theories often is you sort of think, well, would it stay, you know, if man hadn't landed on the moon, all the people involved in that conspiracy, would they have been able to keep it quiet? Do you, is there a reason why nobody has come forward or maybe they haven't? It's in a later episode. They, they have come so, forward. <laughs> they have come forward. That's right. the weird thing. Right. They have come forward, but they come forward in, in a little bit of information that they have. And they come forward, and then ten years later, somebody else says something. So it, it's it's like that, and people are scared. Uh, people that we uh, there was there's one episode that we talk about a guy named Richard Case Nagel, who was a man who we it, it's based on a book called The Man Who Knew Too Much, and he was worried that he was going to get killed because he knew Oswald. We talked to people who knew who know Oswald, who were you know one guy who was at a training center with Oswald, you know, where they were trained to do secret operations. And this guy also did a secret operation with Oswald uh, in Japan. So they're worried they're going to get killed. And we looked at, there were like 18 key, um, uh, you know, witnesses, key witnesses that died within a period of two years after the Warren Commission came out. And the odds of those 18 key witnesses all dying, they died from heart attacks, suicides, uh, accidents, uh, all kinds of th- things. Uh, the odds of it were like something like 700 trillion to one. I mean, it's some insane number. So people were worried. They were scared. And we talk about a couple of them that died just before they were uh, set to testify. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, look, it, it is a, a fantastic piece of work and it's, you know, it's clear that just from what you've said here, but also from the first three episodes, that something uh, was definitely covered up, that there definitely yeah. had to be more, you know, the, the, you're right, there definitely had to be more than one person involved in it yes. in any case. It just, it's just common sense, but it, it, yeah. it, it is, it's sort of so hilarious. I mean, it, again, if it wasn't such a serious subject, yeah. it would be, a, it would almost be a screwball comedy of of how yeah. bad the how bad the cover up you yeah, know i mean it's it's the government the government had the 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 advantage of being trusted when it first came out so yeah. you know but uh yeah no it's been ridiculous but one of the guys a guy named johnny roselli uh he was a mobster 
from uh, Las Vegas and Los Angeles. And uh, he was, <clears throat> he was flown to D to uh, Dallas that day. And he was in Dallas on the day of the assassination. And he supplied at least one or maybe two of the assassins. And <clears throat> he was, he was uh, uh, charged to testify to the house select committee uh, over 10 years after. And right before, <laughs> right before he was supposed to testify, they found him in an oil drum off the coast of Miami, and he was chopped up and stuffed in an oil drum. So, <clears throat> you know, yeah. you didn't want to have to, and there was another guy who died right before he was supposed to testify. Those, those kind of things happen. Yeah, it's it's extraordinary when you put it all together. Has it, has it made you want to go on to uh, investigate other historical and major crimes? Or is uh, are you going to move on to 9-11 or are you... Uh... No, no, no. I, <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not interested in that. This I'm only interested, I was in because it impacted me directly. I mean, I was, I felt this happen, you know, and, and it's like a national trauma. You, you get traumatized and you want to know what happened here. Why, why did... Why did this happen to our American president in broad daylight yeah. on an American street? It's, it's pretty wild. Well, what's, what's wonderful about you, Rob, is, uh, you know, I think even within your movies, but obviously you're, you're adept at comedy, you're adept at political stuff. Um, and there's, there's such variety. I think that's what's so, so impressive about um, the, the, just the list of hit films you have is just the, it's, it's not just one kind of film. It's like one film will come along and then the next one's, a very different kind of thing, and, and it's interesting to see you see. Yes. You, I, mean, it's, yeah. I wouldn't say move into that area because you, you don't. You don't. You don't want to be in my brain. Trust <laughs> me. You don't want to get in there. But do you look? I mean, did you look back on your body of work? And I hope there's if your if your dad's anything to go by, you've got you've got a, a good long time to to go still. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah. Well, we're starting, like I say. Yeah. Another a new spinal tap, and I have a couple of other projects that I'm I'm working on. So yeah, now I want to keep going. I just saw that Clint Eastwood. He's 93 years old and he's still making a film. Yeah. That to me, it was very, uh, very inspirational. Well, it's good to see that. And uh, Ridley Scott, I just saw at the premiere of Napoleon and he's 84, which I was amazed at. Yeah, there you go. And he's still, still cracking on. Um, I I was interested also just before you go in, um, you you've did a film with Albert, about Albert Brooke, who again, is not a huge, a huge figure in the UK, but he's a, he's a, a, people will know him. They would know him to look at, I think in the UK, but uh, what, what's a, can you tell us a little bit about about that project? Yeah, it's 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 called Albert Brooks Defending My Life, and it's a documentary that I made about Albert. Albert and I were best friends in high school. We met oh, in really? high school. Yeah, we met in high school. I we see. actually shared a house together. Uh, I, I talk about it in the documentary because the, the the centerpiece of the documentary is the two of us sitting in a restaurant talking, uh, and then we show you know, aspects of his career, his stand-up, his TV performances, uh, his films that he made. And uh, one thing I said, you know, I talk about the house we had together and it was a duplex. I mean, like it had two entrances, one below where he was and one up above. We each had a phone. And whenever I took a, a girl over to to have, you know, to, to, to make love to it to have fun up there, <laughs> we'd finish and the phone would ring. And, and and it would be Albert. He'd be calling. He says, are you, are you done? And I say, yeah, what? He says, you want to go get something to eat? He was, and then he says, yeah, and the beauty of it is it only lasts at 20 seconds. So I, I didn't get too hungry. I could run right out and get it. But anyway, with the two of us talking, we're best 
friends and we've been talking to each other and it's on HBO now. Right. It's on HBO Max, you know, Max, I don't know. Do you get Max, uh, HBO Max? I th- I th- it'll, be so- it'll be somewhere. It'll be, it might not be on HBO Max, but we'll, it will be somewhere. So people should look out for that. He does a, he did a fantastic um, ventriloquist act. I do some ventriloquism, but he did a sort of subversion of a ventriloquism act and uh, it's, uh, that's well worth looking at. That'll be on uh, YouTube. But yeah, fascinating. You know, it's 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 sort of interesting to see again through your career the the things that come over to the UK and the things that don't, and the and the and how someone can get uh, huge in America and not be known in the UK and vice versa. But it's uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's. I, I think I, if people see it, the reason why I wanted to do it is because I, to me, Albert is a genius. Yeah, he's one of the most brilliant comedians uh, I've ever met. And, you know, he actually was a prodigy at age 16. He could make my father laugh. I mean, big. I mean, he could make, you know, just, uh, you know, seasoned comedians laugh at age 16. And a lot of people don't know about him. And I wanted to give him his due. I wanted people to see how brilliant this guy is. I mean, you know, it's 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 as if, let's say, uh, I don't know, that they, uh, Beyond the Fringe had never made it to America or Monty Python had never made it to America. You know, it's that kind of brilliance, you know, or the goon shows, you know, Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan. If those people had never been in America, you'd say, you you, you want to see what this guy does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, well look, but, you know, again, when I when you I obviously I'm a fan of yours and I knew a lot about you. And, but when you come to look through someone's entire CV, and and see everything they've done. I think you're one of those people that you kind of do. You do have to step back and go, "Wow, this is this is absolutely incredible." I hope there's is m- many more, much more stuff to come, and and more fantastic films which you've obviously carried on making. Um, but uh, it's it's a real uh, honor. You're much too good to be on my podcast, so oh, it's a really it's a that. real it's a real honor to have Don't you. Don't belittle on. yourself. Don't belittle yourself. <laughs> it's, I've made a career of belittling myself. It's okay. <laughs> okay, it's it's, it's, it's working for me so far. <laughs> keep going. <then. laughs> but uh, look, thank you. I know you're tight for time, and I don't want to keep you any longer than it needs to be. But uh, do go and. Listen to Who Killed JFK and uh, be coming out every week of, over the next few weeks, and we'll uh, apparently find out who did it. So that's 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 a pretty good that's a pretty good sell. I don't think don't even need much more than that. Uh, it's really lovely to meet you, Rob. Thank you so much for sparing the time. Well, thanks uh, for thanks for having me. The amazing have a great day and you. Thank you very much. The amazing Rob Ryan, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Bye. You have been listening to Rahalastabar with me, Richard Herring, and my guest Rob Reiner. What? Uh, thank you to Scant Regardo doing the music for this, even though it's Rob Reiner. What? Uh, I'm indebted to my producer, Chris Evans. Thanks also to Natalie Welsh, Dana Archer, Emily Salkin and Mia Green, who helped organise all of this, as well as to Rob, of course, for giving up his valuable time to talk to me. Um, this, uh, anything else? Wolfie the dog's down there. I'd like to thank her as well. This is a Skype Potato Fuzz and GoFusterStripe.com production. Thanks for listening. It's a bonus one. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack. 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour or RichardHerring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out.